All right, are you guys ready to start a new series? A new series. This one is called Insecure. Very intentionally, the word in is really not supposed to be part of this word, and we're going to learn why from the book of Ephesians for the next couple of months. Let me start by asking you this. When was the last time that you felt safe? I know that that can mean a lot of things. Uh, maybe I hope you feel safe right now. But physical safety, it could mean emotional safety. But when was the last time your, your heart and your spirit and your life and your physical surroundings and everything was just quiet and calm and at peace and secure? I know it's a source of much eye-rolling, especially from the older generations, including myself. But uh, institutions and companies are declaring their campuses to be safe spaces. Have you heard this phrase? And often uh, uh, businesses or schools uh, will create a physical, an actual physical location and call that a safe space. This is a safe space that you can come. A place that's intended to be a lot of things, free of bias, free of conflict, there's no criticism, there's no potentially uh, threatening actions, ideas, or conversations in that safe space. This is a, quite an interesting concept I keep hearing more and more about. So where is this idea coming from that we need to find safe spaces why do we need so to be to, why do we need so many things to be declared uh to be safe for us is this safe are you safe am i safe why do so many people feel so unsafe that this has become such a narrative in our culture i've been asking myself the question unsafe used to mean you were in physical danger this morning i i was walking in the dark because it's dark now when I walk my dog. Uh, I was walking in the dark, and usually there's nobody around, and I was on a very deserted street, and there was a, like, a random guy just like going, walking through the middle of the road, stumbling. I didn't feel particularly safe. I don't know if my 50-pound coonhound would have protected me or not. He might have just been like, hey, man, what's up? I don't know, like, I don't know what he would have done. I'm not, I don't feel... Safe. Thankfully, most people, when you're walking with a dog, leave you alone because, you know, they're scared of your dog. But um, I, I don't know. Like, it's like that's what it used to mean, that I, I felt physically unsafe. Everything was perfectly fine, by the way. It was, that was just in my mind. Uh, but there's, what, is this, what is this all about? It used to mean if I felt unsafe, it was something like that. There was something in my physical space that made me feel uneasy. But the truth is, we are likely the safest group of humans to ever walk the face of the earth. We have so many rules, so many buckles, so many safety harnesses, so many things, so many helmets. But the word unsafe no longer means physical safety. It means that we feel attacked as people. So what is all that about? Where did this come from? And why is our culture in this space now? And if it's true that people really do feel unsafe as people, not so much in their physical space, but in their emotional space or their mental space, what is this all about? What's the answer to that? We just have to create more safe spaces? Maybe some of you say, well, you just need to grow up and deal with life. Life is hard and then you die, as I've told you my mother used to tell me as a child. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe that is true. But this, this deep sense of unease is not just going to go away. That we, that we, you, can, you can feel it in our culture. And I don't think it's going to go away just by us telling it to go away. We need something more than a room to run to when things get scary. We need someone to run to who solves our safety issue from the inside out. 
And this is where we're going in the next several weeks together. This series is called Insecure. Uh, it's gonna, it's gonna come, it's, it's come together over this past several months from a few different angles. The first one is this. I am increasingly concerned with the anxiety and the lack of peace that I see in people around me, including the church. Scripture tells us that there is nothing we should be anxious about. Be anxious for nothing, which is also something my mother said to me a hundred thousand times when I was growing up. Be anxious for nothing, scripture says. But culture is on edge, and we are so susceptible to the messaging of the culture if we're not diligent to be transformed daily by Christ. And the second thing that's come together for me is that I have been walking a personal journey with the Lord over the past few years around this subject as well. It's not just you. It's very much me. And God has been so kind to me. He's been pointing out many of the ways that I didn't see that I was looking for affirmation and love and peace and joy and security and safety in all the places except where all of those things come from, him, Jesus himself. And I say that the Lord has pointed out many of the ways because I have a sense that this is a journey I'm going to be on for the rest of my life. He's just going to keep pointing to the ways that I, I, I still am trying to find these things in myself and I need to look to him to find all of it. It's been a very humbling experience and it has been extraordinarily clarifying and freeing for me. So between all of these messages, this, this, this series came together. So the Insecure series is going to walk through, um, in fact, it's actually going to be more of an exegesis about the book of Ephesians. Because you may or may not know this, but the book of Ephesians very much speaks to this exact issue. Because it's in Ephesians that the Apostle Paul lays down significant groundwork for what it means to be. And you're going to hear this so much. And I hope it's burned in your brain by the end. In Christ. In Christ. What that looks like in the life of the believer. We are going to borrow heavily. I'm not even going to be able to tell you all the times I'm stealing material. Assume I'm stealing material all the time, okay? From Pastor Dell's course called Get Secure, um, which is available on our website. There's a link in the YouVersion app. If you go to the YouVersion app and then go to more and then events, then you can see all of the scriptures for this morning, including a link to the uh, next courses, which is where you're going to find Get Secure by Pastor Dell Wells, okay? Did I say that fast enough? Did anybody hear me? I know, I know Pastor Aaron heard me. Aaron, Aaron, Pastor Aaron's like, this is normal speed for talking. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, so I recommend this course because um, I went through it and thought, this is so excellent. We're going to use the themes from it. But there is so much more in the course than we're ever going to be able to cover on a Sunday morning. So I want to invite you to do this in your personal devotional life in September and October along with this sermon series. Uh, Get Secure. Like I said, it's on our website. We, uh, we will be using it, of course, the, the, the questions from it and whatever, um, in my group on Wednesday nights. That's going to be starting in October. Uh, but uh, we, there's, just, there's so much in there, and I want to point you to it. So here's a very long quote from Pastor Dell from Get Secure. I think this is from the introduction, just so that you get an idea of where we are headed. Feeling insecure about your life situation is common for most people. The reasons for that are many and multi-layered. Some people's past negative experiences, personality type, and current environmental stresses are major factors that can make a person feel vulnerable to being harmed or worried about failing oneself or letting others down. 
The world fosters this dilemma with constant promotion of fantasies portrayed as realities. An example of this is the popular notion that anyone has the power to be anything they want to be if they try hard enough. When people discover this is not true, it can leave them feeling discouraged, disappointed, insecure, and worthless. The world is full of people that lack self-confidence, express self-doubt, and are hesitant, uncertain, and indecisive about life choices. That brings frustration and, the, and instability for the individual, which produces negative responses and reactions towards other people and things. Sadly, people want to feel secure, but many do not know how to get to that point. There is a real possibility of having legitimate confidence to face every, every situation with clarity and certainty while anticipating productive outcomes. Feeling fully secure does not come from one, within oneself, but from God who provides every resource needed and the courage to change for the better. Ephesians is packed with insights on how your special relationship with God by faith in Christ gives you unlimited access to God at any time for whatever you need. This study unpacks these dynamics from start to finish. Want to do that? Whatever. We're doing it because I have the microphone, so let's do it anyway. Let's, uh, let's get into Ephesians chapter 1. I'm going to read a fantastic, oh, it's, all of it's fantastic, fantastic passage for you. Um, again, it's loaded up in the YouVersion app if you don't have it already. We're not going to be able to do all of Ephesians in the next few weeks. There's so much. Oh, it's like sad to me how much we're going to have to miss but we're going to do our best to really hit the highlights of Ephesians so that you have a good understanding of this book and, most importantly, what it means to be secure in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1, starting at verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he, he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. And the church says, amen. Paul wrote this to the church in Ephesus while he was in prison. He wrote a lot of the letters to the churches while he was in prison. And it was during this same jail time that he wrote the letter to the Colossians and to Philemon. And this term, in Christ, which you're going to hear so much, I've already warned you, and equivalent phrases to it are used by Paul 160 times 
in his 13 New Testament letters, including 36 times just in Ephesians. So simply put, to be in Christ is to be united with him by believing in Jesus Christ as your Lord by faith. In other words, by becoming a Christ follower, you are now in Christ. And that expression in Christ describes your position in the Lord, identifying you as both belonging to him and living for him. It means that Christ is living in you by the presence of the Holy Spirit who gives you supernatural resources and advantages that you do not have in yourself. And so by learning and accepting who you are in Christ, you see yourself as one who is loved and accepted and blessed by God. And the more you choose to know Christ and to do life his way, the more you will experience living each day to the full. And that is what it means, friends, to be in Christ and to know who God says that you are. And here we are, in the very first uh, verse of the passage that we just read, with our first in Christ. It says, because you are in Christ, you have been blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. Heavenly realms is not a physical location. It's not a place, necessarily, like heaven, though that's kind of part of it. Heavenly realms means like it's a spiritual reality, that it's God's world, it's God's kingdom. You have been blessed already in, in God's economy, in his kingdom, in the way that he has set things up. And we're a part of it. And the evil forces, Satan and the evil forces are attacking this same kingdom, but we are secure and safe and have already received all of these blessings in that kingdom. There's, there's something beyond what we can see with our physical sight. It's a way of saying that this world is not the only reality. This larger reality exists where Jesus is already exalted as Lord. And it's a place where we already get to participate in his victory and all that he has done, even as we wait for the final completion of what Christ came to do. We live here, but we get resources for our living here from a higher place, from another dimension, from the heavenly realms. And those blessings already exist for you. So how did this happen? How did we get to be in Christ? How did we get to receive all of these blessings? How did this happen to us? How did we get so fortunate? How did we do this? Well, verses 4 and 5 say, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. I love that scripture. I love it. And I love how the NLT uh, paraphrases this too. NLT translates it like this. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do and it gave him, tell me, great pleasure. That's you and also me, but also you and it gave him great pleasure to do this, and he planned in advance to do it. It wasn't like a, what am I going to do with these people? They're a mess. Uh, I guess I'll take them. Like, it's that. Like, that wasn't the deal. He had planned in advance to adopt you into his family and to do this through Christ and to bring you into all of these blessings through what Christ has done for you, and it gave him great pleasure to do it. That's who Jesus is. That's who your father is. I'm excited. You'll get there. I know you're just absorbing it, so like you absorb that. You absorb it. 
Have you ever been through the excruciating experience of trying out for a team or auditioning for a part? Or worse, lining up in gym class and having two team captains pick their teams? Do they still do this in school? Talk about feeling unsafe, right? Like, there's a place of safety I wanted to run to. Seriously. The agony of wondering if you're good enough, how others are going to see you, the double agony of not making the team or not getting the part or being the kid in class who always got picked last. That deep insecurity of wondering if you're enough. That feeling of, will anybody see my value? Can anybody see who I really am? You know that feeling. You probably experience it in lots of different ways in your life. I got to tell you, you got to hear me. Being in Christ is absolutely not that. <laughs> it's the literal opposite of that feeling that you carry with you so often. It's as opposite of that as you can possibly get because you, you, you're not waiting to see if you're, gonna, if you're valued or if you measure up. You have never been an afterthought to God. He has loved you since the beginning of time. And here's the thing. You did nothing. God initiated all of it. The only thing you brought was the choosing to accept by faith what God provided for you at his expense. It's such good news. And in some ways, to be honest with you, you and I, were right, we are right to be insecure. We're too broken and too sinful and too rebellious there's no way that we could qualify to become God's children on our own. But you were still loved so much that he chose you before the creation of the world to be made holy and blameless. In other words, that there, would, there was already a way before you were even born for all of that brokenness and sin and rebelliousness to be paid for. Jesus. Despite all of that, despite anything that you would do, despite anything, that you, that anyth anything that's in your past, no matter what was going to happen, it was already paid for because of Jesus came and loved you that much. That's how much value you have. That's how great the grace of God is. And adoption is such a great picture of this, and that's the illusion here, of course, a child without parents is chosen by parents to become a full-fledged son or daughter, and there was nothing that that child did to earn it. And there were costs associated with making a, an adoption legal and permanent. I know we have a few adoptive parents in the room. I am one of them. If you ask adoptive parents if the cost was worth it, they would say without hesitation, not only was it, but I would do it all over again. I do have permission to tell you this story, by the way. I don't know what I'm going to owe Ruthie at the end of it, but she hasn't named her price, but I'm allowed to tell you the story. One of my favorite moments as an adoptive mom, uh, if you're new here, uh, we adopted three kids from Ethiopia 15 and a half years ago. Uh, one of my favorite moments as an adoptive mom came a couple of months after we brought our kids home. I was up on Ruthie's bunk reading her a story during quiet time. And the story was one of those special ones for adopted kids. There's like special little storybooks for kids um, to help them kind of understand and give context to their kind of strange family situation that they're in. And it talked about being a forever family. And it was describing how some kids birth families are their forever families. But for some kids, they have different birth families and different forever families. And all of that is awesome. 
But either way, however you come to your forever family, your forever family is just that. It is forever. So that was kind of the gist of this kid's book. Her English was decent, but still new. Uh, and to help, uh, so to help uh, Ruthie and the other kids too, of course, learn English, they had taken on, they, they did this themselves. They, they started to um, do this really cute thing. They had this little habit um, of, of stepping through each part of their schedule all the time. So it was like, I don't know, we're driving home from, from someone's house after going out for dinner. And so we, we would go, they would say, first, we go in the house, then we go upstairs, then we put on our pajamas, then we brush our teeth, then we go, and then we wake up, and, then, and like they literally, like every like minute detail, and it got kind of silly and fun, and we got ridiculous. Like it was like, first I put one pair of pants on, then I put my socks on. Like it got ridiculous, but it was actually helpful. But I think um, what I didn't really realize at the time is that um, it was really helping them to understand what came next. Like it was actually... Like, it would just help them to process it and to know how to have words for all of these things. So I was trying to see if, if Ruthie understood the book that I was reading to her and if it was, if it was connecting this idea of forever family. And so I, I said to her, um, Ruthie, we talk like this, by the way, they had the, their accents when... <laughs> I wish they still had them. But their accents, we talked a little bit like this. Ruthie, um, so... Um, you go to sleep, you wake up, mommy and daddy. And then you go to sleep and you wake up, mommy and daddy. And then you go to sleep and wake up, mommy and daddy. Mommy and daddy forever and ever. And I remember her face. And she was like, like her eyes just sort of like, you could just see the light bulb sort of came on. And she was like, mommy and daddy forever and ever? I'm like, yep, forever and ever. In those days, Rob and I were tired. <laughs> we were trying to figure out how to be instant parents of three young kids. I was 27. I didn't, I didn't know what I didn't know, and so it didn't hit me until much later how insecure my kids must have felt in that whole transition. I mean, I knew that, but I didn't, you know, I thought about it much more deeply later. Rob and I had all the power in their lives. All the adults they had known were making all these decisions for them that were life-altering. How, how, they didn't know how long they were going to be in Canada. They'd lived a couple of places to that point in their life. How could they know that this was the last stop for them. How could they know? How, I, I, and I could see how that conversation from that point on changed Ruthie. She had been afraid to cry and misbehave. She lost her fear. <laughs> <laughs> She's a delightful child, but it wasn't long after that that, that she first like, was like, I don't want to wear that. And I was like, okay, I see you. She had, she had been chosen, and she knew it forever and ever, and, and that was that. Her adoption was legal and permanent, and she was secure in this chosen family that God had brought together, and she understood in her young mind what that meant forever and ever. We have two other kids, too. Just this moment was just between me and Ruthie. That's why I'm sharing it, just with them. I'm sure they felt the same way, I guess. 
You'll know that Rob and I, um, if you know us, we do not pat ourselves on the back for a great act of benevolence that we have done by adopting these children by any stretch. We just, we feel like we got the biggest blessing in the whole process. We got to parent these kids. Like, I can't, I can't understand how awesome God is to have allowed this in our lives. Um, we get to be there as they grow up and they learn and they cry and they celebrate and they try and they fail and they succeed and they launch out in life. And Rob and I would do it all over again a thousand times, if we, no matter what. And I, I say that and I ask you, you probably already put this together, but is it possible that I've described even a little of what God feels about you and me? Go to sleep, wake up, Jesus, go to sleep, wake up, same, you're still a child of God, you're still chosen, you're still adopted into his family, you still have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms available to you. You may notice when I read that those verses uh, 3 to 14 earlier, it sort of just tumbles out one after the other, after the other, after the other. There's some periods and commas in the English, but in the Greek, there really isn't. It's kind of just like one unusually long sentence, which is very Pauline. Like, that's how he wrote a lot. It's like Paul doesn't know what to do with all of the wonder that he sees in the adoption process. And his description tumbles out one phrase after another, trying to explain that God's work in Christ and its effect on our lives. And he just keeps coming up with more things that he wants to say about that. That's how it's literally phrased in, in the original language. And so I'll just simply say this about this beginning of Ephesians as we step into this new series. All of this as a foundation calls us to change our perspective. We as human beings see ourselves so often as the primary actors on the stage of history. But Paul is telling us that God is the primary actor. So we need to shift our thinking if we're going to be able to internalize all that has happened, that, that God already saw you before you were born, that, it, that, that all of this was in place, that you were already predestined, like that, that all of that was set up for you before you even knew who he was. We need Paul's sense of God at work from creation, from the creation of the world for us in Christ and through the Spirit. We need to understand that we are not hoping to reach God, but that he has already reached out for us. We need to shift our perspective so that we can internalize all that these scriptures are going to teach us. In Christ, I am chosen by God who has the only opinion of me that really matters about anything. Who I am in Christ is always more than enough, and because of that, I have everything I need to live a productive life that pleases God. That's who I am. I am chosen. You are chosen. And this, friends, is the beginning of being secure. Understanding who you are in Christ. Matt, would you come and help us for a moment? I was asking the Lord, you know, what, what is the, what is the landing, landing strip? What's the word I'm looking for? Runway? <laughs> What's the opposite of runway? <laughs> What's the landing point for this, for this message? 
what do we do? What do we do with all that we just read in those, even those few verses? It's just, it's too much. We barely touched it, by the way. This is why I'm saying, please, if you can, please get the course and go deeper into these scriptures because it's so rich. It's so rich. And I thought, I was just, I was asking the Lord this, and um, they're going to just help us to, to let this, these truths settle in us. But as we, when we were singing, I don't know, you're probably going to sing who you say I am and maybe how he loves us and, and be all, do all the things. And we're just going to take a moment to let these truths settle and invite the Holy Spirit to say anything that doesn't belong with the narrative that we're reading in Scripture can just be replaced with what God says about us and, and really receiving that, letting that settle. But I also want to challenge you in, this next couple of, in these next couple of moments because I was thinking and I felt like the Lord said to me, one of the best ways for people to understand who they are in Christ, how they're valued, how they were chosen, how that they were not an accident, that they're not here by accident, is, is to, that's why we are the body of Christ, is because, because among us and between us and in conversation, how we love one another exemplifies that. There are things in your life that are so hard to get over. There are, so, there are things in your life that... Um, you struggle to get past or to believe or to whatever. And if somebody else was, was able to look you in the eye and say, I see you and I love you and you're valued. It's like the Lord is using the church, could use the church like that to help you understand these deep principles, to help you settle these things in your life. I was thinking about the working of the spirit in the church this morning as we were worshiping. Sometimes we think it has to be up front or loud or whatever, and sometimes they are those things, and it's awesome when God speaks that way. But I believe the gifts of the Holy Spirit are in operation in this church. And one of the things that God might be asking you to do today is to speak life into someone else. Maybe there's someone that comes on your heart, and you just want to send them a note a text. You want to just find them in the lobby or find them after the service or find them during the song and say, you have been on my heart and I want to share with you that I could just sense that the, like how much God loves you, how much he's with you. I just want you to remind you that you are called and that you are chosen, that you are seen. I want to remind you that you have everything you need in Christ. I don't, I don't know, but I just think that there are, there, there is just something, there is something, a blessing, a, a kind of given to us today to take this and not just to make it about ourselves, though we absolutely need to settle this for ourselves, but to use these moments to think who in the body of Christ and outside of these walls, who in my neighborhood, who in my school, who in my workplace needs to know that God loves them, whether they've chosen a relationship with Christ or not, that they were still seen and loved before the creation of the world. Who needs to hear the message, church? Would you open your heart and invite the Holy Spirit to say, who can I share the message of this love with? And um, can I be honest with you? You might feel weird about it. Can I also be honest with you? I don't care. <laughs> I have had so many awkward conversations with people either receiving and giving when you sometimes you just need to say something to somebody and you might say, I don't, I don't know, is this going to mean anything to you? Like, I don't know, it's weird. And I just felt like the Lord just might want to say that he loves you. You know what happens when you take that step of faith? That person hears from someone else how much God loves them. It might confirm something. I don't know. I don't know what God wants to do. I'm just saying, don't be afraid. Don't worry about how you look. You are not the center of this narrative, friend. Oh, that hit me a little bit harder than I wanted to. 
You are not the center of the narrative. Could you be used this morning to speak life into someone else? Who would God want you to encourage in this place, in anywhere else in your life? So the worship team is going to lead us. Let's take the first couple minutes and invite the Holy Spirit to say, what do you, what do you, what do you want to say to me? How do I need to settle these truths? What am I believing about myself that needs to be dismissed and replaced with the truth of the word of God, with the truth of how I'm chosen? What is that? And then, Lord, when I've, when I've, when I've just reminded my own spirit about that, how can I be a part of the body of Christ encouraging others in this same truth. Let's stand together. Let's do those two things together as we're led and just take a few minutes to let this settle. Go ahead, Matt, lead us.